0: Welcome back to the Nutanix Community Podcast with Dwayne Lesnar and Angelo Luciani. Let's get started. This week on the podcast, I speak with two well-known community members, Aaron Delp and Case Baggerman. We discuss Citrix on Nutanix clusters, and we cover a good deal on this episode from where and why to start different use cases and we even go over some testing results with domain controllers on-prem and in the cloud there's a lot to talk about so with that let's join the conversation folks great great to have you on uh i think this is the first time aaron's on uh maybe second or third time uh, cases on uh how are you guys doing
1: doing good doing good um yeah and we were just talking about it before we hit record um you know, you have three three podcasters doing a podcast. This is getting inception like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there,
2: there's a there's a joke in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no
1: kidding. Well, well, then also there's a, you know another joke, which is um, yeah, who doesn't have a podcast these days? But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like
0: the pressure is on me for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, that's okay. That's okay. Let's uh, let's carry on. But good to have you uh, you you guys on today. Uh, let's start at the beginning. And uh maybe Case you can talk about um what is
2: Nutanix clusters and how does it help uh citrix? Absolutely. Thank you. It's, it's actually a great question because it's uh it's it's a topic that uh, that comes up a lot. Um, a lot of customer interests. And um, if you look at the, the technology stack uh, from, a, uh, from a, a purely holistic perspective, it's basically our software, AOS, with Nutanix AHV running on top of a bare metal instance uh, it hosted in a public cloud. Right now, if you look at the, the announcements that we've made, um, we're using AWS uh, bare metal service offerings, uh, and others will follow later. So basically, what you will get is a extension of what you have in your uh, private data center if you're running Nutanix today into public cloud with the same look and feel the same software the same mode of operations as you have in your uh, own private data center so basically we're utilizing the power of cloud in terms of availability zones of resources of uh, geolocations and, and availability inside of these data centers so you don't have to take care of that but you're running the uh, the um, um, AOS and age. And software from Nutanix on top of that bare metal instances. Now that's kind of what Clusters is in a nutshell. Um, And you you probably already uh, noticed that I'm talking about the same Uh, software, same operations. So if we look at how it helps Citrix, it's basically the same principle as an on-prem deployment. So if you look at uh, adding CVAT, so Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktops, on top of uh, your on-prem data center today with uh, AHV, we've got existing plugins available for both machine creation services and PVS uh, provisioning services. So MCS is machine creation services, which is a snapshot-based technology, to deploy desktops in thousands or hundreds of thousands of numbers. Um, And provisioning services is a network streaming um, delivery uh, mechanism that does the same as MCS, but uh, over the network versus uh, using a snapshot on the storage layer. Now, these plugins are, are uh, co-written with Citrix using their provisioning SDK uh, that they uh, uh, delivered with or they, they deliver with their software. Those same plugins can be reused when you're deploying your Citrix CVAD desktops on clusters. And um, we've got a great blog that was written by Jorian Gibson together with uh, Sven Hausmann and, and Aaron, uh, who's on on this podcast as well, where we show the power of this combination. Where we're uh, utilizing a on-prem cluster with AOS AHV today with CVAD, uh configured on top of it. We deploy a golden image, and within two hours, we're deploying a sixty-node clusters. Um, In AWS with AOS and AHV on top of it, we migrate the golden image from one side to another using Nutanix's own uh, uh, protection domains, so native replication from one cluster to another. We snap the VM and we create 2,000 desktops out of that VM. So based off of the technology stack that we have, on-prem extending into public cloud using uh, the same plugins, using the same management software, uh, being a CVAD, and replicating the golden image using the native storage technologies that Nutanix offers, and we de- we're deploying those uh, 2,000 desktops on those 60 nodes uh, in AWS. So that's basically what it is. It's a very powerful solution to extend your on-prem solution into a public cloud um, offering, but still gaining control or keeping control of where your data is, who controls it, who has access to it, your log files, and, and all of that that you typically won't get with a uh, DAS kind of solution. So in a nutshell, that's uh, that's what Nutanix Clusters is and how I think it helps with Citrix workloads. Yeah, that's the uh, the
0: power of the hybrid cloud, if you will. That's, that's great. Yeah. Aaron, uh, do you want to go into some use cases, uh, dig a little deeper into some use cases?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of follow on um, from what Case was saying earlier, too, like, a- again, remember this existing plugins, same operations and look and feel. So at the end of the day, you're looking at Citrix Studio and Prism, Prism Pro to really do everything we just talked about. So what does that allow you to do? Well, I'll step back for a second and, and you know kind of recognize where we are in the world. And, and this year, we're recording this in November, 2020, right? And it is, you know, it's turned into the year of VDI, which is a bad joke. Um, but it is, you know, COVID, unfortunately, uh, the situation has changed a lot of, you know, why you would need something like this, right? There's been a rise, first of all, in, in the demand for working from anywhere. And what we're seeing is it's kind of resetting the bar. Um, you know, the interest level in all of this, the need for all of this. So it takes all of those existing use cases um, and amplifies them, right? So what are some of those use cases? Well, number one, a, again, to recognize this a rapid growth, right? It can be maybe a small percentage of, of the end user workforce was working from anywhere. And now the majority, if not all of them will be uh, for a certain amount of time. So that rapid growth could be you know MA mergers and acquisition kind of technology it could be disaster recovery in the cloud it could be anything that is like temper seasonal or these bursty things like like case was talking about i mean that what that what they did of 2000 desktops out to aws in under 2 hours i mean it's such a fantastic just basically the wheels start turning of like oh wow that's something that I really didn't know was possible before. What are all the different ways I can use this? Right. And, and, and in talking to, to Jerry and a full credit to Jerry and like, we were kind of going through some of the, like, we could do this and we could do this. And yeah, that wouldn't be cool if we could do this. And, um, there's this one, you know, we, we kind of called it swing migrations also, which I, I think is really, really like an outside the box use case for this of, you know, what if you have your infrastructure on prem today? It's running CVAD and you want to upgrade it. And you want to move to the next version, well, instead of like, oh, I need a new set of gear or I need need a new environment and I have to do these upgrades or, you know, I have to take downtime to do things in place. Well, you can actually swing it out to the cloud. So you could take that, move everything out to the cloud, spin everything up out there, use it for a certain amount of time, do everything you need to do, do all the maintenance upgrades, get everything on-prem the way it was, and then swing it back right? So this is just opening up entire new ways in which we're doing this, which I, I think is just fantastic. And to your point earlier about, you know, hey, this kind of uh, really opens up hybrid cloud. It, it really does. There's entire new use cases and ways to operate CVAT that just didn't exist before.
0: And and, and as you both mentioned, Jerrion, who's a staff solution architect here at Nutanix, has done some um, some testing. Uh, Case, do you want to go into what he's done and sort of the results, uh, the outcome of of uh, his testing?
2: Absolutely. Um, so uh, Jorian and Sven are both part of the uh, solution engineering team that I lead uh, within Nutanix, um, and uh, you know I just gave them the assignment. Let's or the uh, the question basically. Let's see what clusters can do. And let's push it to the max. Let's see what what we can find out. Uh, Let's figure out what the differences are between MCS and PVS. And with kind of the new capabilities that we have it, it's also interesting to see additional metrics that we could uh, could capture so instead of looking at just login vsi which is um our tool to uh, to benchmark these systems and to see what density can be and what the application performance uh looks like we also uh, captured some of the networking flows and um Uh, some of the uh, the interesting bits and pieces with uh, for example domain controllers what happens if i run a domain controller um, just on my on-prem solution versus what happens if i run it uh, like a copy of my domain controller uh, on aws next to my desktop so what kind of impact does that make in terms of log on times and whatnot so um you know we did a lot of testing and um uh that those that that testing ended up in uh documents that we call reference architectures so if you go to portal.nutanix.com and you go to documentation solution documentation you'll find our reference architectures there and these are named um um Citrix on NCA Nutanix Clusters on AWS. So if you if you're looking for those documents and looking for detailed reports on what we've done with our testing, other than what I'm explaining during this podcast, then uh, and you want to have a read, then um, it's it's all described right there. Uh, we've got one uh, for MCS for PVS uh, for both Windows Server operating systems, so traditional or the the artist formerly known as ZenApp, um, and one for Windows 10, uh, the artist formerly known as Zen Desktop. Um, And it it was interesting to see what these um, bare metal instances could do, because it's always interesting to see what this new kind of technology can do. And if you look at the cluster configuration, the node configuration, it's based on uh, Skylake CPUs, if you pick the i3 uh, offering, and it has an all NVMe uh, storage um, configuration. And obviously, with Skylake, it's an older generation CPU than what we have today with the Cascade Lakes and the Cascade Lake refreshes. Uh, but it's still a, an interesting CPU, especially uh, specifically the uh, the E three uh, offering. It's a high core count offering. So while we were kind of. Um, a little bit careful with the results that we thought we would get. Um, I think the 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 log of VSI testing that we've done with clusters was. Um, all in all, it was surprisingly good. We got we, we tested with Windows 10, obviously with the latest build available, um, similar to the uh, the Office version, and we got to 130 desktops, which with a knowledge worker profile, which is a uh, an, an interesting density uh, point. Uh, that's obviously with Windows 10 so VDI. Uh, when we looked at server based computing. Um, obvi- the, the overall difference is about 40%. So we got about 40% higher densities com- compared to, uh, to VDI. Now what. Um, what caught my attention there was that if you look at the all NVMe configuration that uh, that that was offered, if we compare the storage latency on the clusters' perspective, so clusters on AWS versus a hybrid system that we're hosting in um, in one of our data centers, the storage latency difference was only zero zero point zero two milliseconds. So comparing hybrid system uh, with a NVMe configuration, due to the the nature of how we handle disk I.O., is only 0.02 milliseconds latency. And although that might seem interesting, NVMe is obviously new technology, people are interested in it. Um, I looked at that and went, well, if the difference is so small... Then you probably won't even notice it if you're using a virtual desktop because the time, um, that it takes from you to, for you to click inside of your virtual desktop, the action to happen, traverse to the data center. Execute and and the result needs to get back to your screen. That's a time called and this is in a Citrix world. It's called ICA round trip time. So t- it measures the time for you to click and then the execution and and the result coming back. the The, the chances are that your ICA round trip times are above ten milliseconds. So the difference in Uh, storage latency won't even show up from an end-user perspective. And that was an interesting um, kind of result that I got from the testing. Now, looking at the um, the overall testing that we saw, um, we finally were able to measure, um, for example, networking. And what we saw with 1,300 session on on, uh, 10 nodes was that the average bandwidth utilization per user was about 160 KB uh, per second. And for me, that was surprising because uh, I figured that it would be much higher um, in 2020 with all these graphics and all the uh, eye candy that we supply for end users in terms of uh, visual entertainment when we're looking at a virtual desktop. It's no longer the world of Windows XP dumbed down. No, we're running Windows 10 with all the the goodness that Windows 10 brings, so 160 kb per second was relatively low um, for what I, ex- I had expected, and uh, the peak. And this was at average, obviously, uh, but the peak that we saw um, overall over these tests over these tests was 260 uh, megabits per second, so resulting in 205 kilobits per second. So the differentiation between Average and peak was relatively low as well, and that's that's interesting for me because that gives you the number where you could use to actually size for um, um, deployment of clusters in public cloud. Uh, because you know, obviously, we're extending our network from from private to public cloud, so networking now all of a sudden is one of the crucial factors. Where with private data centers, you could do fiber or or dark fiber or heavily connected. Um, sites, now all of a sudden you need to be aware of the fact that your desktops are actually utilizing the bandwidth and how much bandwidth they're utilizing. So interesting uh, information for me, at least, in the the reference architectures. And um, last but not least, I already mentioned it. Uh, We tested with a on-prem domain controller um, versus a domain controller like a um a copy of the domain controller in um in uh, next to the VMs in clusters and when we tested with uh only the local domain controller so nothing in in AWS other than the virtual desktops we saw that log on times were about 16-17 seconds and then we deployed a domain controller in AWS on on that 16 node cluster that we had available and the log on times dropped to 11 seconds so that's an interesting tidbit for you to uh, to take away. If you're deploying workloads into cloud and they're heavily used in terms of logons, like you would see with VDI and server based computing, it might be a good idea to uh, to deploy a domain controller in that instance as well, because you're dropping basically you're dropping about forty percent of your logon times just by having a domain controller in uh, in public cloud. Wow, that's that's interesting.
1: So Angelo and. Yeah, Angelo, in case you hadn't noticed, Case has probably, you know, and his team has probably one of the best jobs in the company. They get, they get to do the awesome, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if game? And they just get to play and, you know, get all these awesome results and tests. So Case, completely unscripted. So it'll be interesting if we have to cut this or not. Um uh, what, what other testing has the team been doing recently? Um, is there any other projects, anything coming, anything in the pipeline we have to look forward to?
2: Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. I know there is. But... I just don't know if you want to talk about <laughs> No, ab- ab- absolutely. Let me do a, let me do a plug there. Um, so the, 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 two things that, uh, that we're working on right now is, um, uh, AMD. So AMD has re- refreshed their offering in terms of CPUs for the enterprises. Um, you know, re- historically they were big in desktops, uh, especially for gamer rigs uh, and uh, ISPs. So AMD was bigger in at a- 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 ISPs because they're a little bit cheaper than the Intel one. Intel CPUs. Now with all of the. Um, um, Spectrum meltdown, foreshadow, and all of that um, hitting the Intel CPUs. I I think AMD saw their chance, and they're kind of refreshing their server CPUs as well. So we're testing AMD systems, and I cannot give you the the exact details yet, but those CPUs are really, really fast, especially for the VDI workload. They're um, they're really, really impressive in terms of kind of the density that you can get and um, the speed of applications. Um, It I've said um before that uh in instead of asking customers asking how dense a system can get with a certain cpu i think this will change our discussion from that to how big of a failure domain uh, do you want to have? So how many desktops do, do you desire to have on one host versus how much can we crank on uh, to the max to utilize that that system to the fullest? So definitely a, uh, a game changer and a, a, a definitely a conversation changer from uh, for our field teams. And this, the second piece is um, uh, something uh, that is in the, in the same spot. It's NVIDIA uh, boards. Obviously, NVIDIA has a continuous update of their of their boards, and we uh, we we as Nutanix try to keep up with uh, with the rapid pace of uh, of development that NVIDIA has. So, NVIDIA um, announced the, a new board called the RTX. So, the RTX six thousand and RTX eight thousand, and we're preparing uh, uh, a little bit of information for the launch of uh, Nutanix with uh, our, with these NVIDIA RTX boards. So hopefully that gives a little bit of insights of what my team is doing.
1: So, so Angela, yeah, that's a, great. Good, good to know. <laughs> and 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 I wanted to just follow on real quick and make a comment about that. So, so everyone, if you think about this from a from a solutions and systems architecture standpoint, what's one of the best places you could be in? It's it's where the you know the tech itself isn't the barrier anymore, and the fact that the case just mentioned there is like okay it's no longer a bottleneck. Uh, what's really is, is like how many, you know, how many eggs do you want to put in the basket, right? What's the failure, failure domains there. And you know, me, I come from a background more in scale out storage. And that was always one of the aha moments is when you sit down and you talk to somebody about this and you kind of say, yeah, I can do this and you can add. And actually the more you add, the better the performance becomes the big, cause the bigger the pool is and oh, but by the way, at some point you have a danger scenario of you can make them too big because what happens if if it does fail right and so it flips it on its head instead of trying to design for you know what what is the best performing to at times you have to consider all the other factors in it from a you know very t- very traditional solutions architecture standpoint um so I, I think that that's that's fantastic that we're kind of reaching that that point that tipping point if you will
2: it was actually one of the reasons why uh uh but just over six years ago, I joined Nutanix because I believe that infrastructure should not be a, um, a constraint in terms of designing and developing um, platform services or end user services. And I figured that Nutanix was breaking away those kind of limitations of what infrastructure used to have. Um, and I, I honestly think that Nutanix um, gave a, a, a solution for that problem. So. Adding these new CPUs and um, taking away the barriers is definitely something that uh, that is game changing for me in terms of architecting these large scale. Yeah, components. this is kind of a weird, um, weird example, but I always feel like we're
0: playing with Play-Doh or, or pla- um, plaster scene that you can just stretch and pull and, and form into any kind of uh, shape that you want. So that's kind of like the abstract thing I always have in my mind when I'm thinking about things like this here at uh, Nutanix. And it's, it's, it's really exciting to be on that, that, that front of it, you know, so that, that's great. Um, and I will remind folks that we will have a lot of these links, um, to the blogs and, and things like that in the show notes. So, um, uh, don't worry about having to to go hunting for all that uh, content. But uh, Aaron, in terms of uh, the underlying tech, um, what makes this different from bare metal?
1: Yeah. So what's interesting here is like, and we didn't really talk about this yet. So, so we didn't just uh, basically take out AOS, AOS and, and slap it on bare metal instances and call it a day. Um and, because there's a there's much more to consider there. Because again, yeah, you could do that, but then it creates a whole new set of problems. All you did is you took the on-prem problems and you 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 moved the location to the cloud, and that was it, right? There was and so what we actually did is there's an almost like an underlying layer of technology there. That is actually based off of frame and the frame acquisition, and it. it and when I say that, it, I'm talking about the underlying way the the instances are operating, not necessarily the way you know end user computing or desktop as a service, those kinds of advantages, but more along the the lines of the optimization of the environments. How can you take something that is traditionally always on, very persistent? in cloud, which we all know can lead to some pretty huge bills. And even if it's offered as a service, well, somebody has to pay those bills, right? And so how do you take all of that and optimize those operations? How can you dynamically spin up and spin down in the cluster so that, you know, our operations for everyone is optimized? And and Case, you've kind of followed it a lot longer than I have with, you know, and, and have been with the company and followed these projects. And so maybe you could dig a little bit more into it. But I just wanted to bring that up, that it's definitely something worth talking about. That that in 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 between layer, I'm not even sure if we have a name for it <laughs> officially. We do, but yeah, it's we there. do, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, it, there's there's definitely a name for it. It 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 came with the uh, the acquisition of Frame, uh, like you mentioned before. It's called MCM. It's multi cloud manager, and basically, if you look at the way that Frame operates between all of all of these cloud providers, if you look at Frame. Um, and and the delivery models that they can pick, they basically can use any cloud public cloud vendor that is out there, and that's because they looked at their APIs, they automated and orchestrated everything, and like you rightfully brought up, Aaron, they they do a lot of work on on kind of cost control and making sure that uh, resources are utilized to the fullest. And basically, what we did is we took all of that intelligence and and experience of the engineers working on MCM, and we uh, we use that to deploy clusters. So if you look at the way that uh, that frame deploys across Azure, uh, AWS and GCP, all the others, we basically took that logic and, and went, well, we can use this to, to deploy uh, software on top of a bare metal instance as well. So in, in case of AWS, we talked to a, um, a little piece of silicon that they have on all of their um, hardware. Server hardware, and we uh, we we, um, we execute APIs, and we we uh, deploy our software on top of that. And basically, the orchestration and automation that we have with desktops are now applied to Nutanix nodes with with AHV. And and that's a, a for me, it's a brilliant implementation of tech that we had. Um, uh, kind of tying solutions together. To Angelo's point, it's like Play-Doh, or um, uh, in my case, I've got two boys sitting downstairs playing with Lego uh, that's kind of where where I, I I see this solution it's it's like Lego blocks coming together into a, a new solution and an MCM is definitely a, um, a piece of art if you like in 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 how we interact with these different cloud providers and how we call different api's across different regions uh, do error control if something fails then we bring it up there's auto healing not just from the AOS AG perspective but also from the uh, MCM perspective um cluster hibernation, cluster auto destroy, two features that I think are really important where with clusters hibernation, you can do cost control because you're bringing down the cluster in terms of uh, operations, um, the storage gets offloaded to S3. So you're not paying for the CPU cycles if the cluster is in hibernation and that's a definite cost optimization uh, when you look at these desktop workloads that might or might not be on for 24/7. Uh, the other one is is cluster uh, termination or cluster destroy where you can set a certain date and time where the cluster gets destroyed automatically. So if you have that seasonal uh, temp workload that Aaron touched upon in, in the use cases, you can just set a time and it will destroy the cluster by itself. So you don't have to remember that anymore, which uh, again, adds to the cost control and and I guess cost awareness of of the overall solution.
1: Yeah, and and Steve Kaplan um you know in in some conversations with with Steve recently he he's kind of internally dubbed this term microwaste right of of how can we how can we take public cloud and and the operations of public cloud and with clusters you know optimize it even a little further um, and i'll just kind of leave that as maybe a sneak peek for some some future um, you know ROI calculations and some other things we we potentially have going in the I, background as well so angela there's another potential topic for you someday as well so he, he, we did one yeah, podcast and that's we, great. we, 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 more, leaded, more content, the better. I more, know uh, a lot we'll of the listeners it, so would, would love to, to, <laughs> to hear that.
0: Uh, so that's great. Thanks. Thanks so much for this today, guys. Um, one, one question I want to, want to. Surprise you with, if you will. Um, I know both you are both of you are active uh, community members, and 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 folks follow you on Twitter and know you know your what you're doing uh, basically your day to day, if you will. And with all of us being at home the last, I don't know, has it been eight months, nine months? I mean, Christmas is is almost here. But is there is there one thing that that has surprised you with with being at home a, as much as 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 you are now? Like you know, have you noticed that? that the family likes to use the microwave a lot more than you originally thought. Or, um, uh, I, I don't know your, your neighbors like to cut their grass every other, every other day versus once a week. Is there anything that's kind of like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that, you know, if, if I hadn't been at home as often as, as we are, you know, and, and, um, I'll just throw it out there. I won't, I won't put anyone on the spot, but whoever has some, uh, an idea can, can go first.
1: Oh,
2: uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go, I'll go first, Aaron. Um, yes, so please. I, I shifted my uh, my Wi-Fi gear from uh, Rookus to uh, Ubiquiti um, because I, I saw a lot of people being uh, uh, really enthusiastic about it, um, and it gave me a lot more control about the network streams in my uh, in, in my house. Ah. Turns out that Netflix is the number one application in this house household. <laughs> So between uh, between uh, my my wife uh, four kids and myself, Netflix is definitely the number one application that is being used and and um, um, you know, choose up the Good, most cool. of my bandwidth uh, by far.
1: Yeah. So I'll say for mine. So so we, my wife and I have a running joke, um, and this was you know pre pandemic. So I I've been. For those that don't know, you know, I, I historically have been traveling probably, I don't know, 50% of the time for the last 10 years. Um, and uh, we found actually found out a number of years ago there is a limit. You just kind of get adjusted to, you know, those kinds of lifestyles. Uh, there's a limit to how, how long I could be home. Um, it was about five weeks. Um, the reason why I said that I was, I was, ho- I was home for about five weeks in a row. And, and at one <laughs> point my wife did look at me one day and was just like, when are you flying somewhere? <laughs> uh, you know, I had, I had been home enough. I wore up my welcome. And so I think honestly, the biggest thing has been, you know, I haven't been on a plane since March. Um and uh was actually I flew the you know the Sunday before the big shutdown um you know here in the states mm-hmm. and and so you know I, we haven't killed each other. Um, we have kind of a, everyone's lived, you know, learned how to live together. And, and I'm here pretty much all the time. And, yeah. and the, you know, we're all surviving. But no, it's been it's actually been really interesting to kind of readjust to that kind of lifestyle as well. I mean, for a lot of us, you know, a lot of things changed and changed pretty dramatically and, and quickly. Yeah. And, it, you know, some folks just, hey, I can't go to the office and see people anymore. And, and for me, it, it was it was getting on planes. And I'll tell you right now, I don't miss it one bit. Um, it's pretty fantastic.
2: (laughs) So so here's the one thing that I wondered now, um, are you creating an alibi by saying you, you both are, uh, both are still alive?
1: (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Because we know
2: you're alive, but how about
1: you? (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Well, and, 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 you know, I'll, I'll throw this out there too, um, and this is going to be a completely one. I'm just going to leave it as a cliffhanger um, for anybody that ever does see me in, in public mm. again. You know, ask ask us about, you know, going on cruise ships, mm. um, because my wife and I have an agreement that we will never go on a cruise. Um, and I'm not even going to go into the backstory <laughs> of why. I'm just going to leave that as a, right. you know, as something right. as an Easter egg. So great. Egg thanks
0: again, Aaron, time. Case. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us. And I'm looking forward to having you both back on and doing a few more of these uh, podcasts. So thanks so much. Be sure to check out all the great content on the Nutanix community at next.nutanix.com. There you'll find our community blog, updates on Nutanix user groups, and of course, Nutanix certification and education information. So with that, from your friends here at Nutanix, have a great week.